important is tipping to a restaurant employee. Hello, this is Jonathan Maves, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business. And in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I am joined by Reina Estrada, the Associate Editor with RB, who makes her A Deeper Dive debut this week. Reina has some interesting history. Before she worked with us, she actually was a manager with Panera Bread. Before that, she worked with Steak and Shake as a server which is perfect timing because we are doing a significant package on the state of tipping. Uh, Tipping is a constant source of controversy in the restaurant industry going back decades, many decades. But the practice is getting uh, more and more prevalent every day and is now spreading to limited service restaurants particularly fast, casual concepts. So I asked Raina to join the podcast this week to get the employee perspective on what it means to their income, particularly at a fast, casual restaurant such as Panera Bread, and also to have her talk about her contribution to the package on fast, casual concepts. So it's a great interview. But first, three things I'm thinking of this week. Loxman Nair Simmons took over as CEO of Starbucks this week. He will make his first appearance as the full-time permanent chief executive uh, of the coffee giant at the company's annual meeting this week. Uh, He had six-month-on-the-job training, which should make life a little easy, especially given that a lot of the hard work has already been done, specifically the company's revitalization effort, a billion-dollar-plus spending on fixing the company's stores, improving operations, and paying workers more. On top of that, the previous guy, interim CEO Howard Schultz, took a lot of uh, uh, heat over the company's relationships with organized labor, But in some respects, that's also a lot harder position for him uh, right now because, frankly, Schultz will remain on the board. He is going to be overseeing everything uh, Loxman does, and uh, and he will not be that distant. And Howard was actually quite vocal about uh, his predecessor's uh, apparent failures, that being Kevin Johnson. Uh, Imagine what he can do on the board. So um, some good and bad for Loxman as he takes over the country's second largest restaurant chain at Starbucks. A lot of restaurants were acquired in 2021. Those might become a problem in the coming years during an era of tighter margins. So money is made in a purchase of a restaurant at the time of purchase. If you buy for too high a price, that makes it harder to profit down the line. And that's exactly what happened with many uh, companies last year or in 2021 when multiples hit record levels for many franchise concepts. And of course, a lot of franchisees cashed out during this period. 9% of the 20 largest franchise companies, in fact, the franchisees of the 20 largest franchise systems changed hands that year. That is a substantially high number. And many of those restaurants were bought for high multiples. And then the next year, we saw very significant margin compression thanks to record high uh, food inflation and generational high uh, labor cost inflation, all of which could be a problem for these restaurants going forward. So it is something to pay attention to. Are joint employer rules actually good for franchisees? Now, this is a matter of debate, but last week, Robert Zarco, the franchisee attorney that now represents the National Owners Association, the uh, Franchise Association for Independent Franchise Association for McDonald's, 
was saying that he believes that these potential new joint employer standard rules being considered by the National Labor Relations Board could, in fact, be good for franchisees by forcing franchise systems to limit the amount of control they have over their franchise locations. That actually turns the whole concept on its head because uh, people who have been arguing against joint employer, the IFA, and other organizations have been arguing pretty vociferously that they felt it would be bad for franchisees by forcing franchisors to exert more control because they would be legally liable if something happened at a franchise location. Robert, however, believes that the rules would only apply if a franchisor exerts too much control. So that is an interesting debate as for what franchisees think about that whole thing. Uh, That remains to be seen for the most part. They haven't been as gung-ho about that particular standard as franchisors have. Uh, Of course, franchisors in uh, the case of joint employer will be taking on a lot of the legal liability in those cases, which also might be one reason why it could be good for franchisees, at least in the mind of Robert Zarco. So something to pay attention to. Now, here is my interview on tipping with Reina Estrada. All right. I am here with Reina Estrada. Reina, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. All right. Super. Your debut on the a Deeper Dive. Now, uh, you had a interesting career before you started with us. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I've worked in the food industry since I was about 16 years old. So that's about six years. I started as a server at Steak and Shake. I worked there for about three years. Oh, and hold, then, hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Steak and Shake? Yeah. Steak and Shake. Oh, my God. Did you get your picture taken with Sardar Biglari at all? I did not know. Did you know who he was? No, not until I came to this team. Really? Mm-hmm. Was it a steak and shake by Biglari or was it just a normally branded steak and shake? Um, you know, I'm not actually sure. I think it was a I think it was a normally branded steak and shake, but I'm All not right. certain. All right. All right. Sorry. I did not mean to interrupt, but you said you said my favorite words. So go on. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, and then from there, I started working at Panera Bread as an associate. I kind of worked as um, all of the different stations. I did mostly back of house, but I would occasionally do front of house. And then eventually I became a manager at Steak and Shake. Or ah, I became it. a manager at Panera, not Steak and no, Shake. No, you, you, uh, you never were a manager at Steak and Shake. No, I was not, unfortunately. No, you, no, no, no. You could have been one of their operators by now, sharing profits mm. with, with Big Larry. Um, gosh, I shouldn't make fun of him. Anyway, now you actually opened an interesting location when you were there, yeah? Tell us about that. Um, yeah, for sure. It was the first to-go only location. So I helped with the process of opening the store, which was super interesting. It's here in Chicago. Um, everything is to-go only. Um, we didn't even have any kiosks when I originally started working there. And then I think they ev- eventually transitioned into having kiosks. So they have kiosks and you can do rapid pickup orders or online orders, but you can't order and you can't eat there or anything like that. How was that from a from an employee's perspective? How was that different than like a typical Panera Bread? It was really different. Um, it was definitely a change of pace because it was a lot um, lower volume. It was more cross-training for sure because it was a smaller staff. And I didn't particularly enjoy it at first just because I was used to the high volume Panera that I originally worked at. And it was just very, very different at first. And we had a lot of issues with like, 
getting the concept more familiarized with the customer base. We had a lot of issues with people coming in, not really liking the fact that they couldn't order there or not liking the fact that um, they couldn't eat in there. So we had some issues with that, but it was definitely different for sure. So people wanted to eat in the Panera bread, but they couldn't eat in the Panera bread. Yeah. People were like, what's the point of a Panera bread if I can't even eat here? I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's a probably a legitimate point. What's the, what's the point of a Panera bread if I can't eat a Panera bread? So <laughs> that's kind of a fundamental question many restaurants are asking today, but that's not what this particular podcast episode is about. So now, when did they implement tipping? Tipping was um, ever since I worked there. I'm not entirely sure when they originally implemented it, but I started in 20. 20- 18, I want to say, and it was already a part of the system. So ever since I started, it was part of just the, it was, I was used to it because it was the original format, I guess. And um, how much did you, how much did, how much uh, did tips account for, for your wages there? It fluctuated for sure, but um, it was pretty consistently around like two to three or $4 an hour. Really? Was it? So it was kind of a, uh, did you use, did you, did Panera use that as a, as a recruiting tool? Did you? No, not really. Actually. When I first started, I think I didn't even know that that was like, it was just more of just an added bonus when I found out about it. I, they did not even like bring it up in the initial like hiring process until I was already on staff, I believe. They didn't even bring it up that you could make two to $4 per hour more from tips and they didn't bring that up as a recruiting tool. I don't believe so. It was a while back, but no. yeah, I, I don't. It was definitely not like a um, high part of the like pitch. Really? Hmm. I feel like that. That's a sort of missed opportunity. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Oh, I mean, like, now did you use it because you went moved into management? Did you use that as a sort of a training or a management tool at all? Um, I wasn't really involved with hiring processes at all, so not me personally, but I definitely think that the team um, definitely brought it up more than my original Panera did. Mm -hmm. Now, we uh, just, uh, by the time um, people listen to this, this is, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the stories have started to appear, but we've done a very big package on tipping. Uh, at restaurant business. And for that, you talked to a number of employees of, of fast casual concepts. What, what was the general view that they had of, of, of tipping as a practice? What did you well, learn? yeah. Um, so generally speaking, I would say that tipping is something that obviously like employees are going to like. It's more money, which is an incentive. But when it comes to like when it's appropriate to tip, the answer is a little bit more nuanced. Um, it really depends on the the employee, their experience, and all that sort of avenue. But generally speaking, I found that fast food employees tend to look for tips. They appreciate the added gratitude on top of their base pay. And also it does give the opportunity to make more money, which they might not be able to make with just a regular base pay, paying fast food job, for example, somewhere like McDonald's that doesn't offer tips. And when I talked to, I asked the employees if they would prefer a job with a lower base pay with pool tips over a job with higher base pay. And all of them that I talked to agreed that they would choose a job with a lower base pay and pool tips over a job with higher base pay. Huh. Really? Mm-hmm. What was their, what was their argument in, in favor of doing that, doing it that way? I think it was really just the, the opportunity that tips provide to make more money, the fluctuation that people seem to really appreciate. So I mean that. I mean that's. 
it's probably one of the things I think that keeps tipping culture in the United States uh, flourishing the way it is, and it is flourishing, and it's a, a an absolute norm throughout the restaurant space. Mm-hmm. Is that the the employees really like it on balance? Because you you know theoretically can earn more even with a, a lower base salary, uh, and so many people tip. At full-service restaurants, like 99% of people tip, leave tips at, at full-service restaurants. It's rare. So much so that, in fact, it, it's so rare that uh, if somebody doesn't get a tip, they'll leave it on social media. They'll post it on Twitter or something like that. Now, did you, when you were at uh, Steak and Shake, you, 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 you were a server, yeah? And, yep. and so you, it was full service at the time. So you got tips. Yep. Yep. I think I made um, like $5 an hour and then I would get tips, which, you know, since like the, um, the menu at Steak and Shake is it's low or it's high value. So the tips weren't like that extensive, but yeah, mostly my, my income was all based on tips at that time. Yeah. Was it, did you, I mean, was it um, equivalent to, was that in Illinois or Indiana or Michigan, Michigan. or? Michigan? Oh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Was it, uh, was, were you able to make back the, you were able to make min- minimum wage though? Or oh yeah. Than. Yeah, for sure. Right. Did it, do you think that influenced how you, uh, how you worked? Yeah, definitely. I think I, if I were looking for a job in the fast food industry right now, I would be looking for tips because most of my experience working in the industry, it has been making money with tips and some sort of former factor, whether it's the full base pay or if it's just like an added extra bonus onto it. So I also think that it influenced the way that I was motivated to work, you know, by the fact that I could get a tip. So I think my service was better because I've had this experience with receiving tips. Do you think that tipping, um, do you think that the quality of service that you provided influenced how much you received as a tip? Do you, you think know, that you got rewarded for better Yeah, service? you know, it's a, it's a hard question because I would say that sometimes, yes, for sure. I think I could, you know, have a, in, especially in terms of the um, full service restaurants um, at Steak and Shake, if I had a table that I was like, well, I definitely like, I killed that. That was a great table. We had a great encounter and I would see, you know, bigger tips. But then other times, you know, I would, I would be doing, you know, the best that I could performing at how I usually do. And would maybe not even get a tip at all. So it really just depends on the customer bases. Some people just aren't going to tip no matter what. And I think that the opposite is true too. Some people are going to tip no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even at Steak and Shake, they 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 uh, even at Steak and Shake, they wouldn't leave you a tip on occasion. Yeah, it actually happened quite a lot. Really? I would even have people who would say like, "Oh, hey, like you did a great job, but I'm I'm not leaving you a tip today." They would say that? Yeah. Why would they say that? Usually it would be sort of a, I don't have enough money to leave a tip or I just don't believe in tipping. Oh. Well, there's, I mean, that's uh, that's a thing. Like, it's, I think, I wonder if that's sort of a symbol of, of Steak and Shake's customer base. And especially by that time, by the time you work there, I mean, they'd been a value-oriented concept for several mm-hmm. years. And that's how they survived for a long time was based on on that value customer. So they over-indexed to a customer base that was very, very price sensitive. Well, I mean, a tip is 20% extra. And you could see where you'd have scenarios in which somebody would just not have just really, you know, they have a very limited income. Mm-hmm. Was it just tends to be an older customer base, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So you've, you've got a, a older, poorer customer base. That's probably, but still, and you were still able to, to make more than a minimum wage and it's still amounted to most of your, your income at the time. Mm-hmm. And you preferred yeah. that. Now, did you get any kind of customer reaction at, at Panera Bread? Anybody say, hey, wait a minute, why am I paying you a tip? Yeah, definitely. Um, it didn't happen all the time. I would say that Panera's customer base is generally um, not very reluctant to tip. Like we did get a fair amount of tips, but sometimes I would just, it would more just be like kind of like a huff and puff when the screen came up about tipping or when I would sort of say like the POS is going to ask you if you want to leave a tip, they would just kind of like roll their eyes, that sort of thing. Not so much. um, I didn't get a lot of comments about tipping. It was more just kind of like their body language and just kind of how they reacted. Right. Yeah. How would you say most people left you tip? I'm, I would say most people left some sort of tip. Yeah. Like it, not necessarily like a large tip, but it was pretty common. Mm-hmm. And so now that you're, you're, you're on the, on a sort of different side of things today, has your views of tipping changed at all? I, I think that my view sort of changed a little bit as I was doing my story that I wrote about when I was talking to customers, just because I sort of kind of fell into the camp of I personally, as a consumer, I do tip whenever I go out just as somebody who's worked in the fast food industry, I know the impact that the tip can have. So it's something that I tend to do already. But I definitely have the perspective that in general, tips shouldn't be expected. It should be more of a, you know, an added bonus or an extra like little thank you. But I don't know, some of the employees that I was talking to really relied on tips. And as somebody who's already more accustomed or more likely to tip already, I kind of feel myself falling more into the camp of tips are kind of expected in some ways. Mm-hmm. They are. I mean, I, I think if like when you got 99% of, of full service customers, dine-in customers leaving a tip, you know, that's, that's kind of a norm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's no longer... It's no longer, it's not really an option. Like the, the, the societal norm, I think, in the United States is that you're going to leave a tip. And a lot of people, I think, tend to leave tips more out of a sense of obligation. That's why I tip. I mean, I, I'm, I am generally in favor of people making money. That's my, <laughs> my general view of things. It's okay. It's okay to make money. It's okay for your average server to make money. Every, that's what people, that's kind of what drives people. And, and that's okay. And I want people to, to make money, but it's not really a tip. It's not really a, a tip for good service as every, everybody is doing it. Uh, it tends to be an expected, you know, it's, I guess my, my former boss used to call it a tariff <laughs> and um, you know, it's, it's, it's basically an expected service charge. It's not really yeah. there, but it might as well be just, especially full service restaurants, you, they might as well just put a 20% service charge and it'll be doing the same thing uh, because of, of that expectation. I think where it's interesting is where it's been moving into, into limited service. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, like I worked at when I was young, long time ago, I worked at McDonald's. And at the time, we were uh, not allowed to keep tips. Mm-hmm. So on occasion, I would be offered, like I would give extraordinary service in some form or fashion to a customer and they would be so, it happened a few times where I would provide some good service and, and they would want to leave me a tip because they're being generous. And the manager would say, you can't keep that. 
Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. Like that's a couple extra bucks. And to me, you know, that was made all the difference. You know, that's, that was, it made a substantial difference. You know, I mean, it, you know, based on what I was making at the time, it mm-hmm. would make a, a substantial difference. I think attitudes have, have, have changed on that front to me. But it's just interesting to see an industry sort of adopting tipping and and how it's kind of rapidly becoming the expected thing in, inside somewhere like Panera Bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely becoming more common. I would say that back when I from back when when I started in like 2018 to when I ended it in like 20 this past year, um, people tipped more often. I saw it much more common now compared to when I first started. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like if if they put, if they simply put a tipping line on on the bill, people will leave it. Mm-hmm. People will 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 leave a bill, and I I like that option. I just don't. I, where I have a problem with tipping is just the expected nature of it. Yeah, and the fact that it's so expected that you know, uh, in many states, people are paid uh, lower wages because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to me, I think a, a better long-term scenario is that you have a, a higher paid, more professional staff, and then tipping becomes what tipping is supposed to be, which is if they provide good service, I can add a couple of bucks to the bill and then the person gets to keep it, you know, and then that you still have that incentive, but then it's no longer this unexpected thing. I, that, that's my general view on it, but Whatever. Nobody ever asked me that question. So are any any interesting stories from from either your steak and shake or your Panera bread days about uh, tipping? Did anybody leave some sort of note on your tip saying, here's my tip, you know, and then just leaving an act, you know, leaving like some piece of advice or whatever? Yeah, I actually do have a story. One time somebody wrote good as the tip option. They just wrote good. I was like, what does that even mean? Does it like Mm -hmm. good service or just just good. Yeah. But now you made more in tips at at uh, Steak and Shake than you did Panera Bread. Yeah, for sure. But I, I would say, well, so um, I was in Michigan for Steak and Shake and um, Illinois for Panera Bread. So minimum wages were a little bit different. But I think that I would say that I made more money with the base pay and pool tips over just the... Um, so you made more at Panera Bread than you made at Steak and Shake. Yeah. Yeah. I made more at Panera Bread than Steak and Shake with the pool tips versus the just full all income based on tips. Now you're so Steak and Shake, they didn't they didn't pool tips when you were at the. No. So at Steak and Shake, it was just um, whatever table you took. That was the tip that you got. Mm hmm. And you worked pretty hard for that. That's pretty hard work. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. How hard how hard of a job is that? Just to put that in perspective. So working in the food industry is just is hard no matter how you cut it whether you're working as a server or whether you're working as a fast food employee you know you're on your feet for like eight hours plus making sandwich after sandwich or serving customer after customer i remember days where i would spill hot soup on me and i would have to just keep going you know it's just it's grueling it really is and tips can be something that add a nice little appreciation or an extra little bonus that makes you feel appreciated to the customer which you know, in a lot of ways, I feel as though it can make the overall work experience just better because it really builds up that customer slash server relationship, which is a huge part of the overall work experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd spilled hot soup on yourself and you'd have to work the rest of the day? Yep. Was there a story behind that or what? 
<laughs> no, it, it's well. So there's uh, it happened all the time. Yeah, happened all the time. There's just the soup well, and we would take the like a container of hot soup and bring it up to the soup well and just pour it into it with a pitcher. Which you know, there's like a bunch of people around. You're bumping into people, so sometimes somebody would just like bump into you a little bit, and then oh no, there's hot soup all over your apron. I had a manager who spilt thermalizer water, which is like the like boiling hot water that keeps the soups cooking on her leg during a shift. Ow. She got to go. So <laughs> thankfully. Well, at least she didn't have to work the rest of the day with uh third degree burns on her leg. She must have been pretty hot. Must have been pretty burned herself pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I had a, a friend when I worked at McDonald's back in the day that he he burned his his hand on the uh well the 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 bun toaster caramel, I guess caramelizer. We were allowed and forced to call it the caramelizer and burned his hand like right here and had a giant blister, like roughly the size of his, of his hand right on his palm. So yeah, it's kind of some pretty hard work. You get so many, I still have scars from those days. Yeah. I was about to say, I still have scars from where I've like burnt myself on the oven and the soup and all that. Yeah. It's hard work. You're you're running around. You're 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 on your feet, and it's it's it can be tough. It's stressful. You you go home. You smell like mm-hmm. all sorts of things, and it's it's tough. Whether I think it's at a full service restaurant or or uh, or counter service or mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super, Raina. This was fantastic. Really appreciate you joining me this week on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which is edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this in other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. And you may also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your fancy listening shows. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. (music) 